Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, we have... Take two for this, it's uh, Martin <laughs> Theobald, let you in behind the scenes, we, uh, we're we going again. We're probably going to have to go again, just looking at the trace. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be fine, I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll crack on. Um, oh, Alright. Yeah. <laughs> nice and early on a Sunday afternoon for you guys, you know. How are we all doing? How are we all doing? How's your weekend, Andy? <laughs> What have you been up to, Why bro? Why do I tell you anything before the podcast? Why? <laughs> why do I do it? Just you be grateful like, we don't record. You love me like a brother. That's why. It's uh, been busy. It's been a wet weekend, mate. It's been busy. <laughs> it's been wet play. For fuck's sake. So, Terry? Terry, where? <laughs> No. We're like children. This is like, this is juvenile. <laughs> someone a little bit of information. Giggling. Like. And it forms the basis of a podcast. Yeah. Oh, let's tell everyone about... No, there's not to everyone about. Ah, look, man. See, I'm not drinking now, so I feel righteous. I'm just looking at you guys, feeling for you guys. What do you mean you're not drinking? What, full stop? Yeah, I've got three weeks dry. No. Good. I know. I know, man. It's, it's step one of 12, guys. So, you know, just bear with me on this one. Just, you know. May 20th, we still meeting people? You coming out? You having a beer, Terry? Mate, if anyone can find me some decent tickets, I'm not standing in some top tier for 55 quid. I don't... No, I'm, I was trying to find the, the 110 ones, but you couldn't get any... You can't get any decent fucking seats. Well, I can't believe a Frank Warren show sold out, so... must <laughs> be hiding them somewhere. Wait until 24 hours before. I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll give Ailing a call. <laughs> just be like, hey, Andy, I got some information for you. <laughs> he still owes you, you two hundred quid. Fuck, owes me two hundred quid. I want my VIP. No, just be like, mate, give me a VIP ticket. What do you get for your VIP? Does anyone know? Uh, I don't know. No, probably. Do I even get like a matchroom lanyard? You know, you get the little. Yeah, no, I think free bar and that in it normally. But uh, May twentieth, yeah, come down to the Copper Box. We'll meet up. We'll yeah. uh, we'll have a drink. Fantastic. What are we gonna do with the podcast though? Good question. No idea. Let's do it live from there. <laughs> live from the copper box. <laughs> carrying the laptop around with me. I mean, the studio equipment. Just carrying the studio <laughs> around with you. <laughs> and all the fans will hear is, Oi, Theobald, on a word with you. <laughs> <laughs> you grass. <laughs> yeah. Into the oh, lion's Lord. den. I'm not going alone that night. <laughs> That's why we've arranged the, the meetups. You've got some backup. You like going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Believe me there. I have only people knew. <laughs> It'll be like wrestling. You know, you, you know when, when you see the group split up and there's just like one guy and everyone just jumps up the ring and like, we'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right. I suppose we should talk about some boxing, really. I don't think that's what the fans want. Not after this weekend. <laughs> Not after this weekend. Wait, they're gagging to see Parker versus a Romanian taxi driver. Tell us about it. No, it's wank. Absolutely wank. <laughs> like, I know it's it's very difficult because Huey Fury pulls out, you know, with two weeks' notice or whatever, so they have to get somebody in. Um, and that bloke, to be fair, played his part. It wasn't his fault that the fight was shit. 
Huey, uh, Huey, Joseph Parker should be there to carry it and, you know, finish the job quickly. But instead, he proved why he's not an elite level heavyweight. Um, he proved why Tony Bellew must have been sat at home licking his lips. He proved why Dillian White must have been gutted sat in that studio and not flying over to New Zealand trying to pick himself up a world title because Joseph Parker isn't good enough for me. Uh, yeah, and if you're a heavyweight, you must be there going, I would have fought for free just to get that belt. Yeah. Because I'm sure there were guys in shape. Look, Big Domac and Lardy was in shape. He could have done that. Razvan Kojanu. Yeah, but I ain't got a problem with Razgan Leblu. Um, you know, he took me home in a taxi the other night. He, uh, he's a nice bloke. Taxi or Uber? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to confess my ways in case we've got any listeners of Uber. We'll isolate them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know black cabbies don't like Uber drivers, so let's not go down that route. But, uh... <laughs> black cab drivers, we love you. Yeah, yeah. Uber drivers, we love you. We love human beings, okay? We love people. Uh, but no, look. Razvan, he turned up at two weeks' notice, relatively in shape, and he gave as good as he got to Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker wins it on points. It's a dull fight. Joseph Parker, it was just a sparring session, wasn't it? It was just a glorified sparring session where someone got given a belt at the end of it. That's all it was. I remember getting stick on Twitter after Parker's last fight where I said, this guy's trash. He he has no X factor. I know Dave Allen says he might be the best of the lot, disagree completely he has no x factor every every heavyweight needs something that's that makes him stand out parker's just a big half samoan lump like like you almost want to just give him a rugby ball and go mate you might be better at that absolutely like he's an athlete you can see that in him but he's not a boxer there is no ring intelligence there's no power and and he didn't do what elite boxers do he didn't move through the gears like normally like great boxers will go right I'm in gear one at the moment, and it's comfortable. I need to get this guy out of here. So I'm going to just slip into those higher gears. And if he can't keep up with me, he's going to get wiped out. Joshua would have knocked that guy out. Exactly. <clears throat> That's the difference. Klitschko would have knocked that guy out. Yeah. The Klitschko in the 11th round would have knocked that guy out. Okay, so the announcement's made that um, Huey Fury and Parker has it's still going to happen, but it's, it's been put back, right? Um and it's and now it's going to be repurse bidded. James Sunderland's asks surely that Frank Warren has to throw the kitchen sink at it now, um, secure the belt and milk it for twelve months. What what can you tell me about the whole the whole th- uh, news around that? Okay, so it was announced that um, uh, Huey Fury is still the mandatory for Joseph Parker, and what they're going to do? Duco Events, who promote Parker, um, they won the first. Uh, purse bid for the fight by a small amount to have the fight over in New Zealand. Uh, Huey Fury pulls out of it at two weeks' notice. He's still mandatory, but what they're going to do, the WBO, who the title is for, is to do another purse bid for the fight. So this all starts to, you know, if you put your tin hat on a little bit, it all starts to look a little bit suspicious that you kind of think Duco Events must have kind of looked at the whole Joshua thing and how boxing is over in the UK and thought there's probably a lot of money that can be made out of that fight not being in New Zealand but being elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, they're going to repurse bid it. Uh, James Sunderland querying about Frank Warren surely has to throw the kitchen sink it. I completely agree. Like, I think <clears throat> even if I had to go as far as to say would anyone be overly surprised if there was an agreement made rather than it going to purse bids, if they actually came up with a price to have it over in the UK. But this is what it comes down to, though. Is it going to sell over here under you know the banner of Frank Warren? We're looking later on at you know Josh Warrington 
fighting up in Leeds. The, the Frank Frank Warren must have to put on his Eddie Hearn voice to ring up Juco events and like, <laughs> pretend to be, you know, Eddie. And yeah, we can get you know a big fight over here. Look at what we did with Joshua because Juco events going to be very disappointed when they turn up for you know Huey Fury versus Joseph Parker at the MEN and there's 43 people sat in the fucking <laughs> arena I, I just I, I don't see that it has that appeal as a don't fight don't worry we're rounding blokes up outside <laughs> yeah yeah that no, comp- I think there's a, there's a different way of looking at it and it's tomorrow will tell us what way Frank Warren will go because there are two big players in this there's Bob Arum who's in the background of Joseph Parker so let's not forget Bob Arum doesn't have a heavyweight with the belt at the moment and he's seen the money that's being made in the heavyweight division and as always this is Bob Arum right so when Bob Arum gets involved it's normally serious I can imagine Bob Arum saying keep the belt on Parker let's have a wilder fight that's a big fight in America it's a Vegas fight because the message from Joseph Parker was he won't fight in New Zealand again which pretty much leaves London and Vegas as his only options so if you know, and we don't want this to happen, but if Huey is given a ban of any length of this time... This is by UCAD tomorrow. Then you can expect Aaron will be agitating for a Parker versus Wilder fight in Vegas. Um, that will draw in all the money in the world. And then that leaves the winner of that in pole position to face AJ at some point. But as I always say, the big power broker in all of this heavyweight business right now remains Vladimir Klitschko because he can throw money at any champion to fight them. Daniel Saint asks, is Parker's lack of power as bad as it looked today or was it a case of that he knows he's better and didn't really turn it on <coughs> up to dismantle Raznov? I can't remember the folks' name, if I'm honest. <laughs> Go on, Terry. Who's he dismantled? You know, there's this expectation that Parker has power, but there's no evidence of it. Like, he had Andy Ruiz Jr. And Andy Ruiz Jr. served someone a kebab an hour before he fought <laughs> Joseph Parker. And and he couldn't deal with him. In fact, he looked in trouble in large parts of that fight. Parker is... Parker's what's good and what's bad about the ranking system in boxing. Parker's good because he worked his way up the ladder and got his chance. Fair enough. But he was nowhere near the best person ranked in the WBO. And he shouldn't be champion because there are guys in that WBO ranking that will beat him. So Yeah, but then that WBO ranking, like let's <clears throat> let's be perfectly honest about this, and I've got nothing against Huey Fury, but he's beaten nobody of any note that should put him in a mandatory position for a world heavyweight title. And again, that's nothing against Huey Fury. I'm a big fan of all the Fury team. I think Huey Fury can go on to become a decent fighter. But, you know, if we're talking about how the ranking system is flawed. The fact that Huey Fury is anywhere near that, uh, you know, that mandatory position for WBO World Heavyweight title is frankly embarrassing because he shouldn't be there. There's so many more deserving operators. But it's how it works, though, isn't it? They have the convention, and Warren goes there every year, and he goes, "Guys, Billy Joe's not going to fight this year. I just need you to ratify that and agree it, and we can all move on." I need to obviously take a few of these belts. So can I get the lightweight belt or can I get to keep it? Can I get the heavyweight belt as well? You know what I mean? It's like a shopping list. And then Aram goes, I'll have the rest of the belts. <clears throat> but it's all you've got to do is look at any Frank Warren card. So we've got the May 20th one coming up with Javonta Davis uh, coming over. I haven't really looked through the, uh, the running order for that. Yet. I know there's a few decent fights on there, but without looking through it, I can guarantee you there's going to be some WBO intercontinental fights 
WBO European fights or whatever, because that's just, you know, when we talk about how do these people get up the rankings list, is you know, frankly, it's not just Frank Warren. There, all promoters do it. Is that you know, you essentially kind of without saying it, um, you purchase some of these positions by you no. Know, <laughs> Jaws on the floor yeah, across yeah. the board. We'll have none of that grassing, mate. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, what it's fucking grass. <laughs> it's what promoters worldwide do, though, isn't it? That's why you have these intercontinental and silver belts and what have you. Is that you're lining the pockets of the the bodies? But it's the fans' <gasps> fault. But and it's the fans because your you, fault. You all sit there and tweet about this person's well, mandatory. Go. He's this. He's that. At the end of the day. <sighs> Either we just accept that these things are fucking meaningless, which I think they are now. I, th- I think boxing's moved beyond belts now. And the belts mean nothing. They're just an excuse for people with weak arguments to justify their, their point. No one needs a belt anymore. You know, if AJ dropped every one of his belts, he, he'd still draw. And that's the truth. The f- Excuse me. The, a lot of the fighters now, like Mayweather said, a lot of the fighters now are bigger than the belts. From the up-to-date rankings that I can find, David Hay is still ranked above Huey Fury in the WBO rankings. So why does that make Huey Fury the um, the requisite challenger for, for Joseph Parker? David's inactive, and he will probably need to come back on a win and then assert his right to either challenge Huey for that number one spot or to fight for the belt. He's not far off. If if David had beaten Tony Bellew, he would have been calling for a fight with Parker. That was that was almost the underground plan, was just to win that title and then try and unify. Senor Tasty asks, do you think people are getting carried away after... Uh, sorry, saying Bellew beats Parker after watching today's fight? Ooh, okay. That's, that is a, that's a good question, though. Yes, for a number of reasons. Reason number one, what will Tony Bell you do when he has to deal with a 17-stone man? You know, punching him. And Okay, he's not the most powerful puncher, but Parker's a lot more active than, than David was in that fight. And what's he also going to do when there's a guy who can actually resist the punches? Because let's be absolutely clear in that Hay fight, Tony wasn't dominating. And, you know, after the Achilles popped, David actually won a round. So if David on one leg can do that to Tony Bellew, let's not start sipping the Kool-Aid here. Do you know what I mean? Most heavyweights will <coughs> batter Tony Bellew, and he knows that. He just needs a payday, and Parker's not his payday. Turns out that my information was totally bogus, and <laughs> the WBA rankings currently sit, obviously, Joseph Parker's champion, Huey Fury, the um, immediate um, mandatory. mandatory contender. Huey Fury, Christian Hammer. Christian Hammer! <laughs> How gutted must David Price be right now? <laughs> well, yeah, keep going. It gets worse. Jarrell Miller, big baby, which is understandable. Yeah, I don't have much of an issue with that. Andy Ruiz Jr. Nah, okay, you fought for the belt, so you should kind of be up there. Kubrat Pulev, probably the best of the lot we've mentioned thus far. Dominic Brazil. I love the fact that there's you've managed to go down the list, and at parts you've gone, you've you've added incredibility as you've gone down the list. That just says everything, doesn't it? Dillian White, probably 
better than most of the guys on this list that aren't Pulev. Tom Schwartz, up and coming. Don't think he deserves that. Andrew Rudenko, seriously. Luis Ortiz, oh, fuck it, I'm not reading <coughs> anymore. It's like, like, but being serious, there's a Japanese guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a... No, no, and there's a Chinese guy in the heavyweight rankings. <laughs> Hashtag there's a Japanese guy. <laughs> It's probably someone from Hong Kong and he's like five foot four (laughs) and he's just had too many Big Macs and he just declared himself eligible. I'm now a heavyweight. So so someone explain this to me. We have a Chinese and a Japanese guy in the rankings. But Ian Lewis is a WBO Asian champion. That's true. Why aren't they challenging Ian Lewis? That's just a horrendous list of names. There's nothing... (laughs) That list is absolute AIDS. It's terrible. Right, can we uh, can we just quickly clear up? Why on that list isn't there, on this WBO rankings of all the heavyweights in the world, why isn't there Anthony Joshua? Why isn't there Well, Vladimir you won't Klitschko? rank Joshua why? because he holds the belts with other organisations. Oh, yeah. so, so that's fine, I get that. Right. You won't see and Deontay that, and Wilder. And that's across the board, is it, for yeah. all the other yeah, ranking yeah, yeah. organisations? Um, you won't see Wilder, you won't see Joshua. Why you don't see Klitschko in there... Is slightly baffling. Um. <clears throat> um, expect expect to see him in the next rankings. I'd imagine once they speak to him and go, "Are you fighting again?" And he says, "For sure, he'll be he'll be just behind Huey Fury." <laughs> oh, and in at number two, <laughs> <laughs> we have a new entry. <laughs> yeah. Gaz French asks you to please tear into the awful MC at the Parker fight. He was doing one big walking hard on Jesus. <laughs> I think you might have... He was one big walking hard on. Jesus. I think there's a lack of punctuation in there. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're there. We've managed to say what you meant, Gaz. Uh, that's because I read it beforehand. I'm a professional. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to confess, I only watched the Parker fight. And no, actually, I watched Tom Zoo, is it? Costa Zoo's son was up beforehand. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really see too much of the MC and... But I can only assume it's the same MC they've had before, who is absolutely awful. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really see that effort. Is he worse than the guy that did the dove box? Oh, he's a fucking awful. I see him at your call all the time. Dreadful. You absolute warriors. And it's on debutant against a journeyman. They've gone four rounds. It's 40-36. No one's taken a punch. <laughs> they've barely bothered to throw one. <laughs> You absolute warriors. I think you disgusting <laughs> human. Like, clearly from a fucking MMA background or something. It's uh, it's terrible. But, uh, yeah, no, I didn't see the guy on Saturday. Okay, um, moving on. Canelo v. Chavez. Right. <laughs> right now, I don't know. Who's in charge of Mexico? Like, they got president, who's government. Who's in charge of Mexico? Drug dealers might. Yeah, the drug dealer. I don't know. Who does Trump deal with? <laughs> El Chapo. Yeah. Whoever that is, is busy ringing up Donald Trump right now to organise that wall going up so that fucking Chavez does not get back into that country. Because he's a disgrace to Mexico. He's a disgrace to Mexican fighters. He's a disgrace to his name, his okay, father. Okay, well, that sounds really, really harsh. But so, so why? Why? Because he's gone out on Cinco de Mayo, like the big Mexican holiday. He's fighting this all-Mexican... You know, he's uh, he's come down in weight, we'll give him that. But he's fighting this all-Mexican fight against Canelo. He's the bigger man in it, naturally the bigger man. He's about half a foot taller, and he has done nothing in that fight. 
He has done nothing at all. Um, and Canelo, Canelo looked good. He walked through, just walked forward all the way through it. Found some nice combination. That left hook to the body was landing well. Some nice uppercuts, working well off the jab. While Chavez just went on the reverse for the full 12 rounds. I'll tell you that the scores for the fight across all three cards were 120-108. Every judge scored it 12 rounds to none. That's how bad Chavez was. And this is meant to be, you know, his dad is a Mexican legend, a Mexican warrior, being in some absolute, like, you know, legendary fights. And his son goes out there um, and he was just, he fucking, he didn't go out on his sword he wouldn't have taken a sword to the ring. He just went out fucking on a uh, oh, sofa bed. It was awful. It was such a poor display. Um, Canelo, you know, for his part, he did look good. And he is a good fighter. But when only one half of the fight turns up, he was an embarrassment to what Mexican boxing is about. Daniel Saint asks... I think you may have answered this already. Can Chavez Jr. ever look his dad in the eye again after that shocking performance? No, his dad's changed the locks by the time he got home. His, dad, <laughs> his dad's having nothing to do with him. Uh, and Chavez comes out before the fight saying about, you know, it's uh, it's been hard for me because everybody makes the comparisons to my dad. It said, well, go and become a salesman then. Go and fucking sell used cars in Mexico. Go and sell drugs in Mexico. I don't care what you do. But don't try and like steal a living off of your dad's name. Now, don't get me wrong. He was the WBC middleweight title holder for a period of time. Before Sergio Martinez came along and wiped him out. Um, so, you know, he's got a good pedigree. He's got a good record. Um, but he's got no heart. He's got no bottle. You know, the man's quit on his stool before. He should have quit last night. Like There would have been more dignity in quitting than going through those 12 rounds and just not being able to pick up a single round in a 12-round fight. And there were times when Canelo took his foot off the gas as well. He'd sit on the ropes and let Chavez walk in. But you knew he was just playing possum because Canelo was that much better than what Chavez was. But you just think at that point, when you know your opponent is that much better than you and you've been beaten up, not even beaten up badly, like you've got a bit of blood coming out of his nose and his eyes a little bit puffy. But come round 11, when that bell goes... Surely at that point, you've just, for your fighting pride, for, you know, being a Mexican fighter, being a man, the son of your dad, who's sitting there probably shaking his head at ringside, he's probably left in round nine, like, don't want to be associated to this, beat the traffic, um, all these things, you must be able to bite down on your gum shield and go out and just try swinging, try taking Canelo's head off, except that you're probably going to get knocked out in the process, but instead, he just meandered his way through rounds 11 and 12, and it was horrible. Have you um have you seen the um B Sharps episode of The Simpsons? Yes. <clears throat> uh, Abe Simpson's sitting in the crowd. And he's talking to Jasper, and he goes, "That's my boy out there." And Jasper says, "What? The balding fat ass?" And he says, "Uh, no, the Hindu guy." <laughs> I, it generates that sort of thought when you're talking about this. Yeah. No, it was um, just a real, real <laughs> letdown. And you know, we said last week, not really sure where the fight's going ahead anyway. We now know why the fight went ahead. It was an exhibition fight almost. It was almost like it was predetermined what was going to happen anyway because Golovkin gets in the ring straight after um, and they make their big announcement about September the 16th. So they knew what was coming last night and they've conned people, frankly. Just before we get on to September the 16th, um, Terry, Josh Finch asks, if Chavez Jr. loses tonight, um, 
clearly this was uh, pre before, before before the fight. What should his next step be, and what should his ideal weight class to campaign be in? I felt for Chavez Jr. He fought at a weight he probably never wants to fight at again. I think he's settled somewhere between one six eight and one seven five. I think making one six four and a half probably killed him, and I think Canelo just used the Mayweather tactic that was used on him and said, I'm going to drain you down to the point where you aren't capable of fighting. But that's no excuse for what was essentially a lack of boxing common sense. Now, when you've got Nacho Berry standing in your corner, I don't expect you to be coming out second rate. But a lot of what happened in that fight actually is down to the Canelo jab. I don't think that the fact that Canelo would be that quick with the jab. And you could see what Chavez was trying to do, where he was trying to to get in range without taking anything, plant his feet, and just just trade. And what Canelo said was, "No, I'm going to stay on my toes, and I'm going to make you I'm going to make you work for every opportunity." By the fourth round, Chavez realized everything he'd prepared for was out the window, and he was just in survival mode. And you could see that from his body language; he just wanted the fight to be over with. And you have to feel sorry for a guy who grew up in reasonable wealth. Let's not forget that Chavez Sr. made a fair bit of money, being probably the biggest star in Mexico. And so you have a kid, much like Chris Eubank Jr., who has come from relative privilege in relation to their parents' poverty. And we expect them to have that same fighting heart. I think that's completely unrealistic. You know, I... I I think Chavez Jr. has done a manful attempt at being a professional boxer. But as we've discussed on the show, there's a dark place all good boxers have to go to. And that's normally a place that's born out of struggle, not born out of privilege. And, you know, against someone like Canelo who came from nothing, he he got found out. Where does he go next? Just before you, you move on to that, can I just ask, therefore, have we ever seen in history boxing a very successful boxer that's come from a privileged background? Ever? Uh, how do you define privilege? Like if you, if you, well, if you say parents had money, then probably not for a while. Um, you'd be looking at the children of ex-boxers, really, wouldn't you? So like a Marvis Fraser, who was Joe Fraser's son, but we know what happened to him. He got absolutely decimated by Holmes then got decimated by Tyson so he was never he was never the equal of his father you know the closest we've got to someone being good coming from privilege <clears throat> probably Eubank Jr. at the moment right? and Nathan Cleverly Nathan Cleverly comes from quite a well-to-do background um no no ah so weirdly enough I work with a guy that went to school with Nathan Cleverly Background's okay, like, it's the valleys, so the valleys are no bastion of privilege, it's just... I'm not saying it's necessarily privilege, but it's not the dark places, it's it's a reasonable background. I mean, the valleys are a dark place, mate, like, it's... <laughs> look, look, remember that, that that space of suicides in, in the valleys? It's, it's, it's a really strange place, but also, if you notice, Clev has never been the toughest of people. That from far a fight, I disagree. Oh, look what happened when Kovalev stuck it on him. No, no, absolutely. And, 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 and there was nothing left. Kovalev beat him up, but that's from far a fight. He could have reasonably quit in that fight. You know, he was smashed to pieces. But um, I, do, I don't know if it's quitting. It's more the, can you find that thing that says, 
I still want to hurt you. I still, if, if, I, if I've been knocked down, I'm going to get up because I have nothing else. Nathan Cleverly has a maths degree. You know, and he made, he made a big play on that when he was studying to say, you know, I've got to make sure that I have something in the locker in case boxing doesn't work out. And the minute you have that mindset, I don't know if you can do the same work a kid like O'Hara Davis can do in the gym. Yeah, so, yeah, but my, what I was trying to get at is that it was you that introduced the concept of um, certain boxers who are struggling to find that, as you say, dark place when the, when the going gets tough, when they've, when they've come from privileged backgrounds. So my question was really, is there anyone in the history of boxing that swims against that tide? Or is it... Maybe Macklin. Maybe Matt Macklin. Um, I can't confirm the school he went to, but he might have been privately educated. Don't quote me on that. Frank Buglioni, he was quite well educated. Um, quite an okay family background behind him. Enfield. By the mere fact that you guys are struggling, are we? Is, is it just a generally accepted thing that boxers generally come from yeah, hard think, backgrounds? And let's also note, these names that we're chucking in here, Cleverly, Macklin, Buglioni, yeah. they haven't reached the elite levels. Yeah. Like Those elite levels are occupied by people that come from a hard yeah. background, typically. They, 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 there's a, they, you can get so far in boxing by being competent. And I mean, by having the good technique, by being fit, by being strong, as they say, living the life, doing the work in the gym. Then there comes a point where you have to go beyond that. And that's when you have to look into yourself. And there's got to be something that burns in you that says, I have nothing else. Because the minute you have options, and I think Vladimir found this last Saturday, the minute you have lucrative or interesting options in your life, you don't want to be in that ring. I found it myself. I remember being in the ring sparring super heavyweight and just getting hit around going, Shit, I've got meetings tomorrow. I best not get a black eye. <laughs> Literally, that's what I was thinking in the ring. I don't need a black eye in that meeting tomorrow. And then that's when you're like, that's why I will never be an elite level boxer. Because there are guys who are like, keep hitting me. You'll have to kill me to stop me. Yeah. Uh, where does Chavez go next? That's where I cut you off. Um, I can see them setting up a fight between him and David Benavidez at 168. It's, it's it'll play well with the Mexican American community. David Benavides is what twenty one, twenty two. Boxes at super middleweight. I mean, he's the younger brother of Jose Benavides, who used to spar Manny Pacquiao a lot. Uh, I think he boxes at light welter or welter now. But David Benavides is real, real talent. So I can see them using Chavez Junior at some point as a name to really cross him over and bring him into the mainstream. Right, so the big announcement last night then was, or sorry, this weekend was 16th of September. Golovkin versus Canelo, the long-awaited. What do we think? Yeah, why are we getting into this position now in boxing? We saw it with um, Joshua when he took out Molina and then they bring Klitschko into the ring and, oh yes, we are making the fight. Who wants to see the fight? (laughs) Who remembers that? (laughs) Fucking terrible. From Jamaica, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that Jamaican (laughs) Vladimir Klitschko. Yeah. Uh, Vladimir <laughs> Vladimir Klitschko <laughs> as they God. call him back in his homeland <laughs> and uh, yeah so who remembers that at the O2 when they paraded it around the ring so after last that night painful yeah, yeah so after last night's um, equally painful uh, fight they bring Triple G into the ring and they announce 
um, that these two were going to fight. It wasn't quite as friendly as the whole Joshua Klitschko side. Which of would it. have struggled to be any more friendly unless they were kissing. Yeah, I mean, shy of one of them inserting a penis into the <laughs> other one, it couldn't have been a lot friendlier. Uh, after you. No, after you. <laughs> um, yeah, so they get these two in the ring and they announce that September 17th in Vegas you're going to get the fight for the WBC title, uh, the IBF title. Uh, WBA title, uh, all at middleweight, so it's not going to be any catch weight. It's going to be 160 pounds. It's going to be Triple G versus Canelo. It's a fight people have been wanting for however long. You kind of now suspect, look, Triple G uh, went out with the um, uh, the last fight. God, the guy's name's escaped me now. Jacobs. Uh, Danny Jacobs, that's it. Didn't look 100% himself in the past. Um, Don't you know who Danny Jacobs is? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's two of us now. <laughs> he's gonna have reviews. a fit. He's gonna have a piss fit, mate. That's he's gonna be back again. He's not listening anymore, <laughs> mate. You offended him. Uh, there's an iTunes review where Andy once didn't know the name of Danny Jacobs, and this guy went mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've just repeated it. Um, but, you know, against Danny Jacobs, Triple G looked like he'd maybe slipped a level or two. Um, you could say arguably the same against Kel Brook. So. Is it a, a case of being cynical on the Canelo side of it that he's seen that now is a time to strike with uh, Triple G and so they're signing it off for September? Eh, maybe, but then this was announced, don't forget, last year that it would be September this year. So I don't know why people are necessarily surprised other than the fact that people are actually doing what they said they would do in the first instance, which is quite surprising sometimes within boxing. But yeah, September 16th, uh, a fight that the middleweight division needs, really. And it leaves Billy Joe Saunders without a dance partner once again. Uh, he's got the guy that took out Tommy Langford to deal with down in London. Uh, July time, is it? But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, presumably Billy Joe Saunders, has, he's got to fly out to that. He's got to be ringside of that. He's got to be in Vegas getting his face known. Because if not, he just becomes slightly more irrelevant. Is he a legitimate challenger to the winner? He's the, the most only. legitimate He's challenge the um, in the division. I think the loser is probably the most legitimate challenge to the winner. Uh, who's going to rule out a rematch? So, Billy Joe Saunders could be left on the sidelines for even longer. Not in quite terms possibly. of relevant fight. Yeah, but then it's his own fault. He should be more active. Yeah. No sympathy with him. Um, Terry, what do you think to the whole announcement? Excited for it? Or... Um, so, I remember being sat in a lecture hall with a group of MBAs and other scumbags. And this guy's giving a talk about marketing in the modern era, so marketing in the 21st century. And the first slide he put up was, everything's about a story. And clearly, Eddie Hearn has embraced this. You can imagine Della Hoya has embraced this. And it's a whole notion of the story. And what the story is, is, Nothing can just be an event in itself because people will just come consume it and leave. There has to be something before, during, and after. And that's all that they've done with the Canelo thing is uh, the Canelo Triple G thing was always, you know, we'll build it up. We'll have these two young lions, well, young and oldish, you know, working their way up, clearing up various divisions, and we'll build up the interest in them fighting. And then we'll have some near misses, just like a wrestling match. You have your near falls, a couple of two counts here and there. And you're like, what's going to happen next? And then it happens. So the fight gets announced. Everyone gets what they want. 
and now you're like, what's going to happen afterwards? And Martin was right. You're probably going to get a rematch. I think this is probably psychologically an easier fight for Golovkin after having seen Kel Brook do what he did because it proved a number of things. And like, I don't think we can underestimate the parallels between Canelo and Brook. Canelo's a bigger version of Brook. He has great timing. He has great ring intelligence. He never panics under pressure. And clearly he's got the punch power and punch accuracy to to handle someone of Golovkin's size. I don't make much of seeing those two stood next to each other and Golovkin look taller. He could have had those Cuban heels on, you know, anything. But it'll be an interesting fight. And I expect you'll hear someone like Kel Brook say, why can't I fight the winner? If if Brook were to deal with probably Errol Spence Jr., he has nothing left to prove at welterweight as far as I'm concerned. Nothing. Not Thurman, not Garcia, nothing. He could just move up to middleweight, have a couple of fights to acclimatize, deal with the Lemieux, call out Saunders, and then call out whoever. So I think those two guys have probably helped each other's careers because Brooks showed how you can beat Golovkin. Canelo's got the tools to do it, and he's quick enough. And I think that's one of the things we didn't discuss about the Chavez fight was how good Canelo's movement actually is. You know, he, he he doesn't give up the middle of the ring unless yep. he has to. And that's what you need against Golovkin. If you can hold the middle of the ring against Triple G, you've solved half the problem. How intriguing is that going to be? Because that's going to be like, you know when you go to those uh, Destruction Derby events or whatever, and you yeah. get two monster trucks that go like nose to nose, <laughs> and then they just push until one of them gets moved back a bit, and then the other one... That's what it's going to be like in that ring, because Golovkin's not used to being moved backwards. He's used to just coming forward, stalking that prey. And that's exactly the movement. You could see a lot of Golovkin in Canelo last night in that he was just coming forward, the lateral movement. It was almost as if that was like a warm-up fight. Prepare yourself tactically and stylistically for a Golovkin fight. And that's kind of what he was doing all the way through. And he was throwing the combination to going um, jab, cross, and then just a, a left hook to the body. And he was just doing the, the straight one-two, one-two, um, and he was just doing all the things that could potentially cause Golovkin a bit of problems. Some of the combinations, like the the left hook to the body, right uppercut that he was throwing, they're the kind of things that Kel Brook was doing to Golovkin. And again, it just it felt like that at times. Canelo wasn't interested in taking Chavez out because he actually wanted a full twelve round under the lights preparation for that Golovkin fight. And you could see that he was going through the motions of doing that. But let's also remember Chavez is solid as. <laughs> Some of those shots he was taking. He 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 is tough. You know when uh, you know people will will slag off Chavez and say he has no heart. He he took he took some hellish shots in the Andy Lee fight. He took some hellish shots in the Martinez fight. He's a he's just a tough man. He's really a tough man, and it's a shame he hasn't got that sort of intensity when he attacks because you almost look at him and go, he had all the raw materials to be someone special. He, if he had the offence to match his <clears throat> toughness, he could be, you know, a top-level fighter. At this stage, would you say Golovkin is uh, an underdog uh, against Canelo? And how much if he is? Because I'm assuming you're going to say yes, given that he's probably shown chinks in his armour more so than Canelo has. Wow. No. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you, you would put... 
No. Golovkin is a favourite? Golovkin's cleaned up at middleweight. I can't put anyone other than Golovkin as favourite. He's cleaned up at middleweight. Canelo hasn't really dabbled at middleweight yet. So, you can't, you know, Chavez is a name, not necessarily a live body, and there's a difference between the two. Had Canelo gone in in this fight and fought Lemieux, who was on the undercard and won, interestingly enough, had he fought Lemieux and beaten Lemieux, then you could have said, meh, he could be favourite because he did a better job on him than than Golovkin did. But Canelo's untested. It, it's, it's all hypothetical with him. With Golovkin, we know what we're going to get at 160. We know exactly what we're going to get. It's just about whether <clears throat> Father Time's caught up with him. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd have Golovkin as favourite, but I wouldn't have him as heavily a favourite heavily a favourite as heavy a favourite as I would have say 12 months ago uh, I think the gap has probably shortened a little bit so is Canelo taking it like given that he's been so difficult to nail down for the fight for so long why has then he taken it if he's still an underdog because he must he must know that the time's running out for Golovkin you know if I mean, he's not a young man he's what is he 33 34 um, he's maybe got two years three years left and in that point, you can expect him to get beaten. He's going to get beaten at some point, you suspect. Um, because he seems to be slowing down a little bit. You know, maybe a Danny Jacobs rematch and he'd get beaten. Who knows? But I think that was so close, that Danny Jacobs-Golovkin fight, on the scorecards in the actual fight itself, that, you know, that's the biggest fight out there, the Golovkin-Canelo one. And Canelo can't risk, you know, putting that off another year or whatever. Because at that point, if Triple G loses in that period of time, if he loses to a Danny Jacobs in a rematch, then that fight, like the Danny Jacobs fight, isn't going to be huge for Canelo. And the Triple G fight will no longer be huge for Canelo. So now is the time to do it. Okay, we've got a lot of questions regarding Tyson Fury. Oh, can I jump in? Oh, yeah, go for it, yeah. You're saying earlier about boxing being about timing and this announcement of um, Triple G versus Canelo. What about the announcement by Frank Warren this morning, Sunday morning at like half eight, when the whole boxing world has got his <laughs> eyes set upon Triple G versus Canelo, and Frank Warren's Twitter account puts out, we've got the rematch sign between Liam Smith and Liam Williams for a WBO uh, eliminator for light middleweight. You think that's the biggest fight you can possibly make, like that Frank Warren can make, an interstable fight. It's a rematch. It's one that's got people interested. You've only got one opportunity to announce that fight as like an exclusive. This is happening. And you do it at like half eight on a Sunday morning, nine o'clock maybe on a Sunday morning, when the whole boxing world is getting hyped about Triple G versus Canelo. (laughs) It's like, it seems like today would be a very good day to bury bad news. Like to put out that you've got a really shitty undercard for another fight or whatever because people won't pay any attention to it because they're talking about... Triple G Canelo. Don't announce your biggest fight that you can make within your stable on the same morning as the entire like UK boxing scene is waking up to see that the biggest middleweight fight we've been asking for for years is taking place. I just think Eddie Hearn wouldn't do that. Eddie Hearn would know when to time it. He would manage that uh, announcement better. He would manage it, like stage manage the whole build up to it, not put it out this morning when, frankly, like, nobody... Ca- like, that would have gone through so many people's Twitter feeds or whatever. It's like, oh, well, a rematch I don't necessarily care that much about. When I spoke with Joe Gallagher and uh, Liam Smith uh, a couple of days after the first one of that, 
and Joe Gallagher, like rightly so, was saying, well, we'll give him a rematch if they want it, but I don't really want the rematch. Liam Smith won that fight. Like, you can say it's a headbutt. Liam Smith won that fight. Liam Williams pulled himself out of the fight. The referee didn't stop the fight. Liam Williams in his corner stopped that fight. So why are they bitching about wanting a rematch? They're the ones that pulled themselves out of it. Headbutt or not, you know, Liam Smith walked away with stitches above the eyes. He didn't pull himself out of the fight. Um... It wasn't necessarily a fight that either Smith or Gallagher were particularly interested in at the time. So they must be getting paid fairly well for this. And there must be opportunities coming off the back of it. Because I say, it wasn't a fight they really cared about. Um, And I think it's going to be a fight... I say, you've lost that opportunity to make a big announcement about a big fight. And it just is such poor in terms of... You know, your job as a promoter is to hype these things and build them up. Eddie Hearn wouldn't have done that. And that, to me, sums up some of the differences as to why one sells out, you know, the MEN, the O2, etc., and one is struggling to sell out Josh Warrington this See, week. See, I personally think it highlights Frank Warren's arrogance. And and I, and I'm and, and that comes out in several ways. Like, when you've gone to his shows and he's just... He refuses to update. And you'll sit there and you'll just look... It's like, like he's running Windows 97 still. Yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, is this all factual? You <laughs> <laughs> don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah, in case Sandy Sailing is listening, Yeah, I'm. I'm. I remember. I'm on this podcast as well, right? I don't. I don't want to lose the shirt off my back. I don't want to pay twenty five percent of my salary. You'll sit there. You'll sit there watching a Frank Warren show, and like there'll be forty five minutes of an empty ring with like as far as I remember no music and then occasionally you'll get a piece of music well, and you then want Sweet Caroline all for the, for the entire 45 minutes on loop on repeat yeah just he's <laughs> frankly I would take that against an empty ring I'm I just know, you wouldn't I know <laughs> what you mean like, when you go to a matchroom event now it's an event when you go to a Frank Warren uh, night it feels like boxing in the 1970s in a leisure yeah, centre but, uh, but also like if someone said to me replicate a Frank Warren show I reckon I'd have much a much greater confidence that I could replicate a show like that than if I had to replicate an Eddie Hearn show because an Eddie Hearn show feels so well like stage managed and the timings for everything like tick 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 it goes along like clockwork but that's Sky though isn't it when you watch well well, maybe but when you watch Frank Warren Frank Warren's put himself in a position where he's he's got what he's got and how he's got it and and he's he's managed to put himself in a position where it just feels so clunky but, and but, so But we discussed this managed. last week, didn't we? The whole idea that at some point you've got to pass on the legacy to, in order to pass on the money. And we, we Martin and I were talking about this earlier. Her, Barry Hearn's genius was in passing on the legacy to Eddie and going, young man, you know this better than I do. I might know boxing and I'll advise you on it, but you know what Seven. these young guys are, <clears throat> what they really want to see because you're engaged in that world. Frank is there. Like, what's Frank? 60-something, nearly 70? And he's still talking like he's the expert in what boxing and boxing fans want. He isn't. And it doesn't look like the the Warrens beneath him have had the nous to tell him, look, take a step back. You be the advisor. You're going to get all the money anyway. Let someone else go front and centre. And that's what's holding Frank Warren back. George Warren would be the ideal candidate. Oh, he, no, no, no. He would, no, 100%. No. If you sat and watched the... It was the one where they were talking about do uh, Box Nation have access to the Sky pay-per-view platform. I, I remember that. <clears throat> George Warren came over very well in that. 
but it's not you can't you couldn't sit him next to Eddie Hearn. No way in hell. You need someone like Eddie who is ridiculous. You, do you know where if you look at all the the like Vince McMahon, a guy who there's a line here, there's a line of credibility, and they just regularly step over it. And they step over it because they know if they spread the lie often enough and long enough, it becomes truth. And that's not to say promoters lie, just in case anyone and their representatives are listening. <laughs> but but take the example of one and a half million pay-per-views for the Joshua Klitschko fight. By the time he said that, I don't think he had a clue how many pay-per-views had been bought because you, you have to go through the reconciliation process, right? Because you can buy and cancel. And so, yeah, by the time he says it, 500 people retweet it going, it's a oh, fact one and a half million. It's, it's a fact now. It's one and a half million. You can't change it. Even if it turned out that that was bullshit, it doesn't matter. So I don't think Georgie Warren is that sort of guy. I think he's a guy who is a good young man. And you wouldn't mind hearing him talk if you're in the boxing industry because he's a breath of fresh air coming out of Queensbury. But he's not He's not going to get Andy White excited about anything. He won't make Andy White sing Sweet Caroline. Well, you can't, morning you can't both have Sweet Caroline. Maybe they could think of another one. <clears throat> bit, I, I, bit of Cliff I'm Richard, not... Wired for Sound, Mistletone Wine. Why not? Um, yeah. Maybe you are the next candidate for that position. This is the check's big enough, man. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I live, I, I live the life. I've been in camp. I'm in shape. I'm fantastic, <laughs> you know. I'm not convinced that you need someone the same as somebody else. If you're going to create something like a duopoly, then you you may need completely like contrasting styles. But Frank is the contrast. Eddie's all Bugatti Veyron and Frank is all Ford Mondeo, right? And and, and some people like Ford Mondeos because they've got four doors. Fair enough. Yeah. But when you drive a Veyron, people look at you. You, No one looks at you when you drive a Mondeo. And that's what the Hearns realised. You know, it's about the appearance above all else. And Frank Warren hasn't grasped that yet. And the weird thing is, he has the more talented stable. And half this country doesn't even know it. Okay, well, look at the Sowlands. They seem to run a decent production. And how do they... Name me five Sowland fighters. Yeah, well, okay. So my questions were going to be, how do they conduct themselves against Eddie, uh, in comparison to someone like Eddie Hearn? <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm taking the piss. Um, so I like Callie and Nisa. I've met them through some of the guys I know in boxing. They're good people. They, they're the like they can be the life and soul of a party. Just, just put it that way. They, they know what they're doing, but their market is not the UK. <clears throat> their market is Germany, which is a completely different cultural context. So Germany is just this man will fight this man at the Borussia Dortmund Stadium. Doors will open at seven o'clock. Hope to see you there. And everyone will show up. They don't need the fluff and the detail. It's like, do we want to watch boxing? Yes, we'll go there to watch it. Fantastic. Yeah, but they have like, is it just for the sort of exported fights? They have rock bands playing whilst the fighters walk out and stuff like that, which they had for yeah, the... Arthur Abraham fight. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but, but they know their market, right? So so they're successful in Germany and the Nordics. I know people go, oh, the Sounds are small because they don't see them. But... Look how many fights happen in Germany every week and there's a Sauland fighter involved. You know, they, they have a good stable and they make enough money that they don't need to be here. Because it's like, why do you think Vladimir fights in Germany and not here? He doesn't, he's not, he's not German, but he makes enough money there. You know, you, you've got 60, 70,000 for every fight. You know, Eddie talks about 90,000 
And as a one-off, that's impressive. But Vlad can do 60,000 fight after fight after fight after fight. So there's something going right between K2 and the Sourlands, which is they understand their cultural context. We we love bells and whistles in this country. And Frank's not giving us the bells and whistles at the moment. He's not giving us the explosive confrontations that we need. You know, he hasn't given us a good confrontation, I don't think, since Cleverly Bell you. But I think an interesting gauge will be Josh Warrington this weekend up at Leeds. Um, Sold out. <clears throat> is it? Is it? That's what my lawyer told me to say. Yeah, that's not what the website says. <laughs> the website will get sued. <laughs> you crossing Conveyor <laughs> You just don't know when to stop, do you? <laughs> Loose lips for your bolts, does it again? <laughs> <laughs> One day we'll have to. Oh, uh, <laughs> Copper Box Arena for context. For fuck's sake. <laughs> um, but no, Josh Warrington for years on Sky has been selling out the uh, the first direct arena up in Leeds and many people put it down to look he's got these connections he goes out and hand sells every individual ticket he's got that Hatton-esque um, kind of likability about him uh, he's got the connection to Leeds Football Club and so the first direct arena you know what it's like you remember seeing the beach ball fly into the ring one night and all these kind of things it's got that um, the Eddie Hearn dream crowd of like a load of people that don't really care about racist the northerners Yes, yeah, the Eddie Hearn dream crowd. Um, but a load of people that don't necessarily care about the boxing, but are there for the piss-up, the event, and to see Josh Warrington go out and fight. Which is always ironic, given that Josh Warrington's not had a fucking interest in fight for the last five years. But, you know, they get bored by round ten, and that's when they just start punching each other. It'll be interesting to see if Frank Warren is able to sell out that first direct arena, because the assumption has always been that it's about Josh Warrington and... Um, you know, his connections to the football club. Was it that? Or was it that Eddie Hearn could sell Josh Warrington that way? Because, if I'm honest, I kind of forgot this fight's coming up this weekend. Um, And why is that? Is it because it's not drilled into my consciousness like Hearn would have done? So are those Leeds fans going to be as aware that Josh Warrington is fighting? This is his first fight um, at Leeds since signing for Frank Warren. Let's just see if that stadium or the arena is sold out and to pass it in if it has that same vibe that it had under Hearn or are there going to be empty seats? Because if there are, that's a bit of a bad indictment really of where it's at. Okay, heavyweight boxing. Back to this. Uh, the fallout from the Joshua... Oh, well, if we're going to do fallout, we missed a question last week from Sam Khan. And it's probably more relevant now, actually, now that we've had a week to to reflect on it. And what she was saying was, it all seemed a bit different on Saturday in terms of the matchroom-Joshua relationship. And I think if you look at what's happened in the seven or eight days since, Joshua still hasn't done an IFL interview. Um, the only one he did was like Ring News TV or something. He did one on a Sunday with some guy who had like 300 views, basically. Um, you saw the whole Team Joshua thing and basically Eddie Hearn looking like a jilted girlfriend in the background going, where do I fit into this picture? And you've almost got to start looking and going, what's the real relationship between Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn now? Because Eddie did an interview on, I think it was Friday, with James Helder, not Coogan. Yep. Wow. <clears throat> in a pub garden or something, wasn't it? it yeah. Like- 
Yeah, it looked like it was like sort of either North London or Hackney. Definitely looked like there were some 38 buses going past. It wasn't the standard matchroom headquarters interview with Coogan. Yeah, which was interesting because after such a big event, normally what Eddie will then do is he'll give you that presidential address that says, we've just done the, the biggest thing ever, 300 billion pay-per-view sales. <laughs> 90,000 in Wembley, another 80,000 in Old Trafford, just watching on, <laughs> watching on an iPad. <laughs> and you'll, you, you'll get that really, really big hot, you know what I mean? Like, it's Eddie's moment of triumph. And then, and then he tells us everything that's coming next. And we haven't had that. And look how long it took for Eddie to speak on the fight. It's almost as if this has been a Joshua run event. And if that's the case, cool. Because if you notice the size of Team Joshua, must be the size of Team Matchroom already. Yeah. So they they, they they can't be much overlap because Josh has got to look after his people. So I imagine we're seeing Anthony Joshua stepping away from the Matchroom IFL axis. But didn't he send up a flare showing this intent the minute he said that he wanted to be a billionaire? Clearly that was going to be more likely if he wasn't... If, if, if he was running his own show, yeah. Well, yes and no. So let's let's look at AJ. Like, so I've had a week to talk to guys in the states, and the general feeling was that wasn't a big deal in America. Joshua fighting Klitschko was not a big deal, so he's going to need someone to carry him in America. Heyman, maybe. Yeah. Can you get the Mayweather seal of approval? Is that what you need to translate? Don't know. He definitely can't use Eddie Hearn for that because Eddie has no presence. Like he's he's just a nice English guy in America, so that's not no good for him. Eddie can neither, neither can Eddie open doors in Africa where there's a lot of money for AJ because someone will put up a hundred million for AJ. <laughs> there to will fight. be a government with it in gold ready to pay. <laughs> yeah, um, Asia, you know all these things that Eddie can't do for AJ, and you're starting to look now and go. So what does this mean? And because no one's been explicit about it. And Joshua hasn't really touched on it. Like, I haven't really heard him say thanks to Eddie for getting me this far. Which is the first time, because if you notice, most people will thank Eddie for the opportunity. Joshua doesn't. So it'll be interesting to see how this relationship evolves. Because Eddie said he had an eight-year plan for AJ. And I'm like, I think it's eight months more. Like, you better speed it up. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want to get out of him, get out of him between now and the end of the year. Because he'll serve notice to quit. When technically does his contract expire with Eddie Hearn? Uh, next year, I believe. So I thought it was the end what, of what part this though? year. I thought <laughs> I, I thought it was the end of this year because he signed a he signed a three year deal in 2014. I don't know if he's extended that. No, I think as far as I'm aware, it's about this time next year, ish. So, so how that's many, two how, fights. How many yeah. hours? Yeah. I think we discussed it last week, didn't we? About what would the plan be? Is if he's only got two fights, you can be assured that it's not going to be a Pulev and an Ortiz if Eddie can get his, his way, is going to be Wilder and Fury or whatever, because that's the big ones that Eddie can try and make some money out of. But without the belts, though, he's going to have to drop a belt for Eddie to get what he wants. Yeah, as we were saying earlier, though, how many AJ fans are going to you know not turn up because the WBA World Heavyweight title isn't on the line? Not one, I suspect. Uh, what strikes me is that it doesn't take very long before the boxer is bigger than the belts. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, because the the world... The Mayweather. Boxing is, yeah, so fractured. It just, like... There comes a point where it just totally outstrips the... Necess- I, is establish- there any fights? Is there any belts on the line for Golovkin Canelo? Yeah. I don't even... You said earlier, three of them. Right. I, but I wouldn't even care if there wasn't. But it's and like, the IBO, right? 
I'm including the IBO because if Joshua can parade it and Eubank Jr. can parade it, I can talk about it. Yeah. But I mean, uh, <laughs> that fight last night, the Canelo Chavez one, the WBC, did you ever see this? They made up, it, it, Google it, the WBC belt for um, Chavez versus um, Canelo. But didn't Canelo say, fuck your belt? Yeah, he said, no, I'm not. Like, at that point, you have to start paying the WBC sanctioning fees. Um but yeah, Canelo said, no, I've got no interest in that. And I think he said it was because of the way the WBC treated him when he won the middleweight title. Yeah. Uh, and they tried to force him straight away into fighting uh, Golovkin when he had legal issues going on elsewhere. Um, so he said, nah, fuck that, I'm not doing it. And so the WBC have issued some Mexican specialist belt for uh, the fight last night. And it is horrendous. You is found that, it, Andy. It looks like... <laughs> It looks like a snake has gone to an LGBT parade and then ended up being turned into a WBC. It looks like you've taken a group of primary school children and said, create a belt that reflects like all the colors of the rainbow or something. I'll tell you what it is. Creatures of the world. For anyone that lives in Hackney or maybe in that, that hippie part of Bristol, you know when you see those people dressing in dashikis, you know white people dressing like they're from fucking Ghana. <laughs> It's that sort of Kente fucking print on the belt. It's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing seeing those people. You know, they try and do the traditional dance as well, these fucking bellies. He's embarrassed. He's showing it, doesn't he, really? Yeah. And so the WBC issue this special belt. And I say Canelo said, no, I'm not interested in that. Um, so did that fight last night need a belt? No. Did the WBC want to cash in and make a belt? Yes. It needed an opponent, though. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Right, um, let's move on to Tyson Fury, which has been heavily spoken about given we're talking about the heavyweights. Um, First of all, a question from the boxing madman. Will Tyson Fury ever fight again? Lots of false dawns lately. Also, should David Hay return or retire? So obviously that's twofold. I think we're fairly confident Fury's going to come back, right? What they should have done, Team Fury, in my view, six months ago, just put a blackout. Like, just put an absolute media blackout for the whole team. Given that they knew this UCAD stuff is coming up this week, we'll get the results off to find out whether they're going to get a ban or whether they're just going to backdate the two-year ban or whether there's nothing at all. Don't know. Given that he still hasn't got a boxing license, Tyson Fury, uh, which he can then reapply for dependent on the UCAD outcomes, they should have just put a blackout on so that nobody has to keep asking these questions. Because, you know, fans want to know the answers out of Peter Fury. Fans want to know, could Huey Fury have fought over in New Zealand? Or was he still banned under this UCAD um, investigation? I don't know. But the fact is, there's so many questions that don't get answered. Yet we get loads of other stuff out of Team Fury about different things. They should have just shut the doors for six months. So I'm, so I'm caught between a rock and a hard place on this one. I think the stuff Tyson's been putting out in the last couple of weeks has been gold. If... If ever you wanted to create the antithesis of Joshua, what Fury is doing now is marketing genius. It is literally saying, look, here's a man on the road to redemption, but while I'm on that road, I'm going to keep smiling and having fun. Meanwhile, I'm going to share with you my fight back from depression. He He's almost doing it in exactly the opposite way that he won the title, where you're warming to him now. And you're like, actually, I want to see Tyson fight again. I just want him to get healthy first. Let me worry about that. Let him. When I see Tyson at about 21 stone, 20 and a half stone, 21 stone, then I'll start thinking about will he fight again? Because right now, 
he does look like a like a long distance lorry driver. Let's not lie about it. <laughs> like Tony Soprano. <laughs> yeah, he looks absolutely massive. But boxing needs fury. And the UK anti-doping, I discussed this last week and I was criticised for having my tin hat on. It's not. Because if it was, if it was just Huey Fury, they would have dealt with this in a split second. You know there are people sat there going, is there a way we can punish one and not the other? Because we need the other one for the revenue it brings in. Huey's young, he can come back again. We can't lose Tyson for two years. And and despite what Eddie Hearn says, in his heart of hearts, he knows he can't lose Tyson for two years. So I don't imagine we will lose Fury. If they ban Fury for two years, heavyweight boxing's dead. Full stop is dead, and everyone knows that. So let's see what happens. I'm if 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 he boxes again, great. If Tyson Fury doesn't box again, so what? He conquered a mountain many said he wouldn't do. So, you know, that being said, he proved he was the best heavyweight in the world, and he actually proved it. Okay, Craig uh, FightTalk.net asks: Does Tyson Fury right now beat any of the top ten heavyweights? Uh, and by that he means at boxing, not drinking slash eating things. <laughs> Does he beat any of them? Yeah, he beats probably five of them, maybe six of them. The only ones, in my view, that he wouldn't necessarily beat right now: Klitschko, Joshua, Wilder. Um, he's too fat, and like I think ability-wise, he he crush him, but. Look at the size of that belly, though, man. Like, you, you're just going to... But it depends which video you see. I saw one the other day where he was dancing to some really camp love song. Like <laughs> Tina Turner. That's it. Where he looked huge. But then there was one, like, the day before where he looked a reasonable shape on the pads. And I don't know which one was filmed, like, that day and which one was filmed... Ages ago. Yeah, but one of them is misleading. Yeah. And I don't know which it is. It, for, yeah, so, I, look, my answer is this. Let's get Fury down to 20 stone. At 20 stone, he beats everyone. At 18 stone, he's untouchable. But I think I heard the interview he had with Steve Bunce. And he oh, was he was yeah. saying he's like 26 stone. Yeah, that was a gleaming interview, by the way. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I, 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 what he said, it was that he wants to dance around Joshua and he wants, he's on the road to rid the heavyweight division of frauds. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's just like all these muscle men. I love that he's like, I want to deal with this muscle man. He's not a boxer. What's he say? There's a reason we call it the sweet science. You know, it's not about lifting heavyweights in the gym. It's about science. And and they're the moments where Tyson Fury elevates the heavyweight division because he's that antithesis where Joshua has that sort of Joe Frazierness about him, quite conformist, quite plodding, basic, crude. Fury gives you all that light and entertainment and controversy that you want to see in your heavyweight champion. As we said before, heavyweight champions are normally horrible people. That's just boxing history. I agree with all of this, but this is what I was saying about having a blackout on the team because, look, I agree. I've enjoyed seeing all the Fury and Saunders stuff out in Marbella. They make a great little double act of like quite an amusing pairing. But at no point is anybody answering the question about what's going on with UCAD. You know, are you clean? All this stuff about bore meat. The one one part of the team will say apparently that they're going to plead that it was a, an infected bore that caused the issues, and then other people are saying they're not going to plead that. There's all these questions outstanding about his actual ability to legally get back in a boxing ring. Okay, far far be it from me to um, sort of like 
speculate to any uh, wrong dealings, but is it possible that the Furies could already know the outcome of this meeting before it even takes place? No, I'd be surprised. I'd be really? surprised about it. I think mm, no. I, look, there are back doors into UCAD because there are too many coincidences happening. You can have people on the inside because remember, it's it's like it's like it's like journalism, right? Journalists are football fans, so they can operate with both hats on at the same time. It's the same with the UK. A lot of those guys are probably boxing fans. So Frank would have had the feelers out. I'm sure Frank Warren wouldn't have invested the time and effort he has in the Furies if he didn't have an indication of it could go one of three ways. And he's probably done the calculation and gone, we can live with all three of those. I don't know what they are. It might just be, we suspended you, but time served. So you're back. Uh, with a reprimand as to your future conduct. It might be something Which that I think simple. is a likely outcome. But then, as I say earlier, does anyone know if Huey Fury could legally have boxed against Joseph Parker at the weekend? I don't know. <clears throat> Given that there's still this UCAD investigation of which the answers aren't going to come out until early in the week when people might have listened to this. But that Joseph Parker fight date of Saturday night the investigation hadn't been completed and announced by that point. So could he have legally actually even done it? So I think the investigation had been completed. They yeah, just yeah. delayed the hearing. Oh, I've no doubt yeah. that it's, it's completed, like, unless they're working right up to the wire on Sunday evening, like, getting all the paperwork together. It's literally, it's literally, fuck, we either need to let both off or punish both. Yeah, but the fact is that and nobody, they don't want to do nobody that. knows the outcome to it yet, officially. And so could Joseph Parker, Huey Fury have even legally gone ahead? I don't know. I think you can in the same way that, let's say, you, until, a, until a decision is made, providing that Huey still has his license, then he is licensed to box. Is it innocent until proven guilty? Yes. And then, <laughs> then if, if something were to happen today, uh, tomorrow, sorry, then... That that result will be valid, but because he couldn't box going forward, he'd have to just forfeit. Well, that's true because actually the Tyson Fury Klitschko fight fell under the same investigation that's going on now. I yeah. think because it's been going on for two years, so that fell in the same investigation period. Huey Fury has fought in the last two years yeah. whilst he's under investigation. I think they'll just backdate it to when they, uh, they last fighting. Fought. Yeah, it was sensible enough. You know, everyone we're kind of bored of this now. If I'm being honest, we're just bored of that one. It, you know, they're not catching the real dopers. They're not catching the guys who, you know, who who are revealing all kinds of nefarious symptoms. I'm um, just going back to the second point that uh, the boxing madman came up with. Uh, should David Hay return or retire? Return. Retire. Return. Retire. <laughs> What's he got left to prove? Bell you. Yeah, but what if he breaks down again? This, you know, I don't. I look. I don't think he will break down again. Um, I think you know, he's dealt with something he thought he could fight through, and fighters do this a lot. Where they're like, nah, you know, it's only bell you. Nah, didn't have to do anything, but he had to. So <clears throat> he's had that, and sometimes you need that loss. You know, we so remember we discussed going going into that dark place. You've got to go into that dark place, you know, and just go right. Anyone under six foot four, I'm just making mincemeat out of. I'll leave these giants until I can be asked. But these guys, six foot four and under, I'm going to make mincemeat out Which of. Which is fine, but what's the, he's got a hard eight week camp to get through. How hard it is is depend on how he trains, I guess. But 
one the of the end best of trainers it, out there. At the end of it, there's the risk. I've no doubt he is. I mean, look at the guy. He's in phenomenal shape. But at the Jedi, end of it... Jedi Sports is a king of trainers, mate. <laughs> You're an idiot. Uh, at the end of it, he's still got to get in that ring. And there's still the risk that if it's not the back going, if it's not the shoulder going, it's now the Achilles going. Do you know what I mean? Like, it does I, seem I to used fall to, apart an awful lot, I used to love, so. I used to love my dog Buster. But like he got oh, to, good old bastard. yeah, he got to like sixteen years old, which in dog years is like five thousand or whatever. <laughs> and like he started walking into doors, and like at that point you go, ah, oh, it's all right. He's walking into doors, but we'll let him off that. And then he used to like he started to shit in doors, and ah, uh, there's only so many of these symptoms before you go right. You need a spade to the head, like you need to have this ended now. And I'm kind of thinking that's where David no, Hayes. Well, well, no, 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 you no, compared David no, Hayes no, no. to a terminal, wait, <laughs> terminal wait. dog. No, 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 no. Let's 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 be objective about this. If we if we look at that Bellew fight on one leg, he was still able to evade the shots that were coming from essentially a cruiserweight. He was he was able to still manage that whole situation, so he's not. It's not like we're looking at a guy going, "Mate, you're slow. Your reflexes have gone. You can't protect yourself." We're not looking at that, and we're not looking at a man who's had war after war. It's not. This isn't a Ricky Hatton scenario where the guy's taken an absolute hiding. It's let the man test out his Achilles. If his Achilles is robust, you know, as these surgeries tend to make them now, modify your style a bit. I mean, it'll be probably a 12, 14 week camp just to get back to where he needs to be and let him have the Bell U rematch. Like, you know, that's, 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 as Eubank would say, that's the Warriors code. Uh, so I have a question there for, um, yeah, I realise that David Hayes obviously, the greatest, as obviously as time's <laughs> gone on, he's got older, right? Obviously no, he given. hasn't actually. He, he hasn't right, aged yeah. since 2012. Right. So, but the question I have is, as he's got bigger, has that um, has that coincided with the amount of injuries that he's had? Uh, bigger from when? From when he was an amateur? What I'm trying to get at is, is his future going to depend on whether he has to choose between the size or drop some of that weight that he's been carrying to to sort of ensure that he can fight into the future? David will always fight at around 102 kilos. That's 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 his. That's a good heavyweight size for him. Um, he was this big. He was what was he sixteen nine for the Bellew fight, because he couldn't run. You know, he had an Achilles injury. He couldn't run, so he couldn't burn the weight off. That's really what the issue was. It was I can't get down in weight because I can't do what my body normally responds to. Let him have two legs where he can do a bit of jogging or you know work the treadmill or whatever, and then you'll probably see him down at the low sixteens, maybe sixteen dead, and. You know, at that weight there, he can still knock people out. And let's be honest, that's what we want to see. We want to see guys show up, knock people out, move on. Do you think that will happen? Do you think the Hay Bell Youth uh, will come to fruition? Yes, because let's look at let, let's look at Tony's requirements. Tony needs one or two massive fights, so you've got to rank David Hay versus the rest of them. Does 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 Bell you Hay too do more than Parker? Yes. I don't care what you say about a world title. Hey, Hay's a bigger name than Parker. That sells internationally because there's a story. You know, stories sell fights. Does Bell, you want it with Wilder? No, he couldn't take Stevenson's best shot. He won't take Wilder's best shot. He's already said he won't fight Joshua, and Fury's far too big for him. So you're now running out of credible options. You could fight Dillian White, but Dillian White's there going, where's this fight really going to take me? No way. Dillian wants a belt. John Moore. <laughs> John Moore. 
Malau, 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 Malau. John, uh, with David, with David Hound the Mend, do you think it enhances his odds of being on Dancing with the Stars 2017? <laughs> what kind of question is that to us? I know, I know, man. Well, no, 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 no. no, no. Like, I don't vet them. I just I ask mean, them. Turn the theme music back on, man. We're done. We're done. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the end of the show, man. You just killed yeah. the vibe. What kind of question is that to us, man? You're asking if the best dressed, probably the greatest British heavyweight, the hardest punching human being ever created. <laughs> the man with the best hairstyle in sports, never mind boxing. Terry's going to those dark places. The most yeah. articulate, <laughs> the most articulate man to talk about the sweet science. The first man to make corporate sponsorship a thing. He is the granddad of JFB sports. This is Mr. David Hay. Soon to be Sir David Hay. All right. <laughs> Damien Terry. Yeah, he will be on it. All right. <laughs> I, was gonna, I wasn't going to give you a repeat. Um, Damien Taylor asks, is it possible for a boxer and a trainer not to get on personally, but be successful in the ring? And do you have any examples? Uh, um, speak from my own experience. There are times your fighters piss you off. There are times when you piss your fighters off. You argue all the time. A fighter will get rid of a trainer when he doesn't, trust him anymore and he doesn't believe that fighter the the trainer can take him to where he needs to be um an example and it's not really publicized but it's true uh Kovalev and John David Jackson so John David Jackson doesn't that uh, there's a lot of what Kovalev does that Jackson doesn't like and because of that you know there's a lot of tension in that camp and that's probably some of the things Andre Ward alludes to in interviews but if you remember the fight he had against Chalemba in Russia, the day after that fight, John David Jackson does an interview and basically slags off Kovalev and goes, the guy's out there selling tickets. He shouldn't have been doing that. He was trying to get tickets for his family for the fight. He was, you know, doing all of this promotion. He just wasn't training. He thought he could take it easy. You know, if I wasn't paid so well doing this, would I still be doing this? I don't know. But John David Jackson... That's probably a prime example. <clears throat> Look at um, Don Charles and Derek Chisora. You know, they went their separate ways and then came back together. They went their separate ways after Fury 2, I think it was. Um, when I think Don Charles just didn't feel like Derek Chisora was giving it his all in there. Uh, I think that was the reasoning behind it. And, you know, they, they kind of... They always had a bit of a fractious relationship. Um and they went their separate ways. But then ultimately, I think, uh, wherever it was that Chisora went off to after that fight, and I can't remember which trainer he was with in the interview. He was based out of St. Pancras for a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, it was a bit of an odd situation. I'm not really sure. I think he was probably a, training himself. Yeah, not really had a home or a trainer, I think. But then they kind of they put their heads back together and realised that actually, irrespective of what's gone on in the past, they need each other probably equally, I'd suspect. Because Don Charles... We'll be getting paid fairly well out of Derek Chisora. The most which un- what they're in it for. Very underrated trainer, Don Charles. Sometimes yeah. I give him stick, but he's he's a good guy to have from day one. If you buy into his boxing philosophy, there's probably no one more complete at translating that into a fight style. Um, look, the thing about the fighter-trainer relationship, I always say this, never change a trainer. <clears throat> it's rare that you become more successful after moving trainers because... Just like a fighter has to find that emotional connection with what he's doing, 
a trainer has to find that as well. So you you go harder for the people you've had from day one than you ever will for the guy that comes in down the road because you've molded that fighter. A part of you is in them and a part of them is in you. So it's very hard to win in a bad camp. That's the only way I can put it. it you know, let, let's look at relationships. Mayweather, Mayweather Senior. They, they have rows all the time, but they're family. So that doesn't last very long. You, everyone saw the 24-7 where he only Floyd threw his dad out the gym. But the, they're flashpoints. If you don't get on with the trainer, you'll normally go your separate ways pretty quickly. Okay, moving on in terms of our questions to completely different topics. Okay, what's the question? We're interest. talking Andre Ward. Oh, well, what's the question? Well, I'll tell you in a second. When you find it. What can uh... Kovalev bring to the rematch with Ward? Nothing. What's his best chance to win? Nothing. <clears throat> There's nothing. His best chance to win is knockout. That's the only way he's doing this is to... I'm not really sure how he does it, but to pressurise Ward. But I... you saw the second half of that fight. Ward had worked it out. Ward had, you know, broken the the code by that point and was able to manipulate Kovalev. Can Kovalev come in a different way? Not for me. I don't see it. Nah. When you're trained by John David Jackson, you're kind of... You're hoping for a knockout because if you saw what happened when John David Jackson worked with Hopkins against Joe Smith, now Hopkins looked lost in there. You know, there comes a point when you've got to revert back to those who know you well. And I just don't think Kovalev really trusts the Jackson methods because he doesn't box in the Jackson style anyway. Um, what can you do? You're hoping you land another one of those right hands and force war to chase the fight. But then my question is, what will then happen when Ward sticks it on you in the first three rounds and builds up a three round lead? And now you've got to really take risks and Ward will just pick you off. I, <laughs> Just from the things Andre said to me, um, he has no fears about this fight because he's like, Kovalev showed me everything he could ever do. And I've reflected on it and I'm comfortable with it. So I think Kovalev is just there to take his beating and probably fight Arta Baturbiev. And, you know, that'd be a nice cash out fight for him. Can I throw in a question quickly that I've got from Mark Evans? Now, I know nothing about this question. It's coming this afternoon, and it's directed entirely at Terry. Uh, Fuck although... Mark Evans, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can I just make sure that was a Harry CB's question, so cheers to the question, mate. I didn't didn't know. What's this question he's got? Because I haven't seen it. As right, you know, no, it's coming 49 minutes ago, so whilst we're recording this. Anyway, from Mark Evans, slightly on a different remit to our usual questions, but Andy, feel free to chime in, because I have no idea. A little outside your remit, I know. But I'd value your opinion on nonce Captain Trump's safety. Ch- Chappers, Terry, will know someone who knows someone who knows. Which of the NSA, CIA, DHS, TGV slash BLT's assassination plans is best? What? <laughs> to take out Donald Trump. Um, oh, Terry's eyes have lit up. <laughs> I... Like to the point, he said it's a bit out of your remit. I had to get him to clarify what the question was because I wasn't really sure. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, slightly. Keep it short. So it'll be it'll be an airline related incident because most assassinations of leaders happen with airlines because you can rapidly dispose of evidence. If you actually think about it, the most dangerous thing most world leaders do is fly. Because <laughs> most plane crashes involve world leaders. So it'll be 
some sort of airborne related incident. Is that a fact? Most airplane crashes involve world leaders. No, no, no. But most the way most world leaders die is normally from ah, a plane right, crash. Okay. So it'll be a plane crash. Who would be behind it? It's mostly the CIA in these sorts of scenarios. So why 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 would that be any different? They are the most powerful group in the United States. Forget the NSA. It would be a good land grab for the CIA to hopefully subsume the NSA and GCHQ and create a transatlantic, you know, form of new world order based out of Langley, Virginia. There we go. <laughs> Fuck Mark Evans. Uh, We've gone entirely off piece. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm. I just. I want to report that to Twitter. We get that account blocked forever. <laughs> back to the boxing. Yeah, I, I've lost it there. But um, right. Getting back on track. Patrick Smith asks, "Can a team dispute a score if a judge comes out and says they made an error?" The first question I'd ask is. Has a judge ever come out and said, oh yeah, I made an error? Yeah, they did. Uh, somebody tweeted me. We were talking about the 10-6 scores from last week and yeah. somebody put... Um, I saw that, yeah. It some... gave us some examples, which right. is great. So thank you yeah, for uh, sending those through. So it was Marquez... Was it? I can't remember who Marquez this Marquez Pacquiao. Uh, no, I don't think it... Yeah, it was. Oh uh, yeah, no, it was. You're right. It was Marquez Pacquiao um, first round. <clears throat> but saying that the judge came out afterwards, put the wrong score, admitted he put the wrong score in, and then, uh, yeah, if he hadn't have done that, it would have changed history potentially because the scores would have been different at the end. We may not have got the uh, the subsequent fights that we had. Can they come out and uh, contest it? I don't know if I'm honest. Um, Khan tried, remember? Oh, he blamed the bloke in the hat, didn't he, after Lamont Peterson yeah, fight? He, he, he alleged um, that the, the scorecards would change and that's why he got robbed. I would be surprised because, I mean, George Groves tried it as well, didn't he, saying that the stoppage was early and he went to the WBA sure. and uh, protested it for the Frotch fight. Um, I don't think you can necessarily get the scores changed because I think that would be a very, very dangerous precedent yeah. to have. Uh, the only thing I think you could do is possibly go to like the Court of Arbitration for Sport or something out in Switzerland but at the end of the day, it's Not the judge's opinion. Yeah, so it's, I, I don't think you could do it. Yeah, so arbitration would only be in relation to contractual matters. So the reason you can go there for a doping violation is you're under contract to submit to various aspects of testing. If you're found to be guilty, then you, ser- you serve a certain punishment. So that's, in, that's normally in your contract or your agreement of membership of a governing body. So you can challenge that. I don't know if you can challenge the integrity of an individual's performance because then why wouldn't you challenge a referee's performance? Yeah, but it's then coming out and admitting that you did it wrong. That's what they're querying. But 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 you can. But boxer can say I was wrong in the fight afterwards. You've got that time for reflection. The integrity of the sport demands that whatever you've decided at the end of that fight is what you've decided. Unless you've fraudulently changed the score, then there's an issue with that. But. If you were like, well, that felt like a 10-7 to me, that is what you are there to do as a judge. Uh, Brian N. asks, how worried should Errol Spence be in his fight with Kelbrook? Uh, if, sorry, his uh, fight with Kelbrook goes to the judges. It won't go the distance. Because? Kelbrook's too good. He's just too good. Um, so I've in seen, that case, I've Errol seen... Spence should be worried... Well, getting stop. knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen the check weights and Brooks under 11 stone. Um, Can't so just say this pissed me off. Eddie Hearn, in his interview with James Helder, was almost celebrating the fact that Kel Brooks, you know, under 11 stone, he's on course for making welterweight. That's a fucking minimum expectation, isn't it? 
Like, why is anyone celebrating the fact that he's probably going to hit weight? Well, I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 but, but one of the interesting things is this seems to be the easiest way that he's made weight, which then makes me reflect and I say to myself, What's he oh doing? My God. <laughs> no, 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 but pe- 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 people, people say I'm Terry Tinhat, but. Come we on. do. Come on. I like that, actually. A man who's struggled to make welterweight for probably the last four or five years, and he's admitted that himself, all of a sudden eats, what, Kellogg's Bran Flakes, and now the weight's are dropping After off. After going up to middleweight. Yep. And that wasn't just fat middleweight either. That was ripped middleweight. And that's all seemed to come off. <clears throat> so you have to wonder what's happening. I'm not saying it's anything illegal, but they have something that we don't know about. Andy, I'm going to make you a Terry Tin Hat klaxon. That you can just press every time uh, there's a potential. <laughs> every time. Uh, it might get worn out. Um, that is actually. Can, can it just say arsehole in Polish? If you want. <laughs> Go for it. I'm not, sure any, I'm not sure anyone is <laughs> prepared to understand it listening. <laughs> it's enough that we know. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it is. What a vision. <laughs> oh. um, you alright Andy? Are we getting tight for time? <laughs> Don't worry We'll squeeze the rest in <laughs> Josh Warrington versus Kiko Martinez Is coming Square up pegs in round holes. <laughs> This is shit Who cares about Kiko Martinez right? Terry and I were discussing this earlier I know Terry's going to give you some views on it in a sec I just want to say from a you know, general fan perspective. Kiko Martinez, the man who's come over here, twice been stopped, uh, once by Frampton, once by Quig very quickly. And then he went the distance with um, Frampton the second time round when Frampton picked up the world title. Kiko Martinez is damaged goods. I don't want to see Kiko Martinez. But the problem is, I don't think Josh Warrington's very good. And so this is like Josh Warrington's level, perhaps, is the gatekeeper, you know, the damage gatekeeper. Uh, up to world level and I'm sure Josh Warrington will win probably a 120-108 decision and he will go the full 12 rounds and they will say it was a better scorecard than what Carl Frampton got against him when Kiko Martinez was like 5 years younger or whatever Kiko Martinez isn't a young man you know since those Quig and Frampton fights he's been off having semi-relevant fights around the world he's just he's not world level and he's deteriorating with age it's the perfect um op- uh, it's a perfect opponent i think for josh warrington because it's not somebody who's particularly dangerous these days um but i don't want to see it i think it's a terrible fight personally i won't be going to any effort to watch it that's the name you can sell they know that no oh, martinez did this he did that and it gives warrington 12 rounds with frampton yeah. and it gives warrington the right to call out scott quig and go let's do this war of the roses thing and you you against me you've got nowhere else to go that's going to get you this sort of money then quig will go i'm a level above then warrington will go prove it and at some point those two will fight because i don't think hearn has any ideas for quig and i don't think warren has any ideas for warrington because ultimately, at 126, the fights that are going to happen are Frampton versus Selby. 
and then those two will go off and do other stuff. Warrington called for however long for the Selby fight, didn't he? And then when he got the opportunity, when Selby's team put it on a plate, he when said, he got married. oh, no, I'm getting married. Um, so if Selby or Frampton ever came back and offered that fight to Warrington, I'd expect Warrington to file the divorce papers, find a new missus and organise a new marriage within <laughs> about 24 hours to get himself out of that fight as well. That- yeah, but the, the only thing I'm interested in that card is watching the second fight of a kid, Zach Chelly, just to see what he has as a pro. Was okay as an amateur, worked his corner a couple of times in the ABAs. Um, be interesting, because I think that will be a good yardstick for where amateur boxing in this country is. Because Zach was a, I think he was a quarter finalist in the ABAs. So he went up for the final three-day event and was probably unlucky because that's a really good division, like... The amateur middleweight division, really good at amateur level. You've got Jordan Reynolds, Jordan Thompson, this kid, Ben Whitaker, who who does look something special. Um, any promoters listening, go and scout him out. Whatever he asks for, it might just be worth it. And you got Nicola Adams fighting this weekend as well, isn't you? Which, she's fighting three-minute rounds, which she requested herself. Um, so, that'll be interesting to see. Which, which, which flies against the guidance from... I think it was either WBC or WBA, where they said, we'll never allow women yep. to fight three-minute rounds. WBC, I think. Yeah. Then they say all the medical evidence <clears throat> suggests the trauma received over the three-minute rounds is more dangerous for women than it is for men. The good news is there's very little trauma on the end of a Nicola Adams punch. So, uh... <laughs> why do, do you know why that would even have... I mean, look, if it's a scientific fact, then fine. I'm not going to dispute it, but... Why I, I query immediately is is why it's more dangerous for women than men. Like you've got very delicate men in like straw weight and stuff like that. That fight. No, not necessarily. So remember, you you're looking at people that theoretically are the same weight wise. So it's about what's your punch resistance against your peers, and they're finding that women's punch resistance is less than men. So. The amount it would take to put a 60-kilogram woman on the floor is a lot less than it would take to put a 60-kilogram a man on the floor. Mm. So with that and the fact that... So the weakness of punch resistance compared to the strength of punch is vastly different in women and men. And that's the problem. It's that gap there which says these women can hit pretty hard, but they can't take what they dish out. And so there's a risk of, you know, it's all these things. Because remember, as men, from, you know, I'll have to talk this through while I show the actions to the guys. So from basically the base of the brain, all the way down through your trapezius, down to the middle of the back, is where you have the greatest concentration of testosterone receptors. So in men, that's why you find that men can get larger necks quickly and stronger shoulders. And that normally helps in resisting brain trauma. In contrast, women don't aren't blessed with that because obviously having estrogen means that the bulk of your weight moves further down the body normally. And that's what creates the risk. I don't know if you've ever seen women spar men, which I'm not really a fan of for that reason. So you can have a 55-kilogram man and a 66-kilogram woman and he'll just stick one on the chin and it's quite uncomfortable to watch. And that's not me being sexist. It's just, you know, men and women are created differently. Yeah, I can see that um, at the very least, you look at uh, evolutionarily, 
men are going to be predisposed to more fighting than than women. I suppose this could be some physiological adaptations that have allowed blokes to take punches. I don't know. And again, straight into an area that <laughs> grossly un- my friend, <laughs> grossly <laughs> unqualified to talk about. But who get? We've already talked about. We've already talked about a Donald Trump assassination. <laughs> but I, I, I will tell what's interesting. So, so Nicola Adams fights on friend. Saturday. Nick Adams' girlfriend, Marlena Espinosa, whatever her name, Esperanza, fought last night. I don't know if Nicola Adams was there. I'm hoping that she was over here getting ready for this fight and not thinking I can just fly over with a bit of jet lag and, you know, show up. That'll be interesting to see as well. Okay, do you have anything else to add, gentlemen? Yeah, there's the matchroom card I sent through earlier. You fucking, you've ignored it. He's going to have to go and delve in now. Ha <laughs> ha! Awkward radio silence. Awkward here. radio silence while Andy searches through his WhatsApp to find the matchroom card that I sent him earlier. I'll give you a hand. Well, I, I, I can. No stuttering. This is a no stuttering podcast. There's no editing going on here. We're going to wait until Andy's found it. No. Nah, nah. I'm just going to have a drink. Rubicon, sponsors of just me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just for the record, anyone. Spy for the first time <laughs> in the ammo gloves, you know, and. Got to say they protect the hands, man. You can punch elbows, you can punch knuckle, anything, and you don't get hurt. So anyone, go and get those ammo gloves. The kids in the gym love the ammo gloves. For 60 quid, you're not going to find a better glove on the market. So, you know, if you need to get ammo gloves, mate, DM me. We'll, we'll collate the list, you know. We're looking to get a New Age Boxing Podcast discount code for your know, ammo gloves, ammo equipment. You know, we just need to have some discussions with the powers that be, but we'll clear that, you know, just to reward our loyal listeners with some top quality equipment and equipment that keeps you safe. Before we go too far down this sponsorship road, I'm waiting on my stuff from A1 Fight Gear. They're sending me through some gloves and that, but uh, yeah, let's find out what they're like. <laughs> I'm not but giving them any reviews. They're crap. They're crap. You you slated my gloves. A1 gloves are crap. Look at them. My thumb's all sticking out like they're like MMA gloves. Fingers all wiggling and shit. I've literally not received them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give an honest review when they turn up. If they're good, Ammo. they're good. Ammo. We can have two lots of good gloves on the market, Terry. We'll find out. Never. We'll find out. Right, put some meat on the bones for this. Uh, I've got Khalid Jafai, Sam Eggington with... Uh, <laughs> this is Birmingham card. I didn't recognise anyone on there. Right, so, <laughs> so tell me about it. All right, so let's rewind the clock and Eddie Hearn says about, you know, every Saturday fight night we'll have uh, a world title fight on it. I think it was about a year back he said it, with the new Sky budget so they were getting, etc. He failed to quantify that one of them will be Cal Jafai. Um, <laughs> He should have done that. Like, let's go back and put some caveats in there. I don't care, if I'm honest. Um, you know, super flyweight. Who's he fighting? Suguru Muranaka. I know nothing about Suguru Muranaka, um, other than I've seen his record on Boxrec. I haven't even bothered to look at it. I don't care. Like that down at those weights for super flyweights. Unless it's the likes of Roman Gonzalez coming over and fighting, then it's just no interest to me, if I'm honest. That's no disrespect to Cali Actually, He did brilliantly in winning that world title and it was a fantastic performance. But these fights don't interest me. It'll interest me when it's people that I'm aware of, which is down to my own ignorance of the, the smaller fighting weights. But, you know, I'm happy to admit that and I don't really care. Is that Malaysian? Gamal fight, yeah, that's his... Uh, so, Sean Davis, that should be an interesting fight. Sean Davis is uh, an interesting fighter against Gamal Uh I'll be okay with that one. 
the one that really um, Ooh, takes the exciting. piss. Oh, Frankie, Frankie Gavin. Gavin. I think he's fighting Renald Garrido. Oh. Um, <laughs> as far as I know, it's Renald Garrido, Frenchman who beat Bradley Saunders going back a few years when Bradley Saunders uh, was having enough of it, so headbutted him disgustingly and uh, and took himself out. So uh, Renald Garrido's been kind of seen over on these shows. He's a bit of a nutcase, bit of a Fruit Loop, but I like him. Uh, so hopefully he's fighting Frankie Gavin. Hopefully he puts an end to Gavin's career. Um, I don't mean that like horribly destroys him. I just mean beat him and let him retire because he's a he's a non-entity. Uh, Sam Eggington fighting for the European title against uh, Seferino Rodriguez. Put your hand up if you care about Sam Eggington as a fighter. Like I'm not going to see many hands raised over the top. I don't know what he's got on Barry Hearn. Barry Hearn seems to have this emotional investment in Sam Eggington that he's going to back him. You know, it seemed to he was personally offended when Eggington didn't really perform against Bradley Skeet. He didn't perform against Bradley Skeet because he's an agricultural fighter and Bradley Skeet is a quite technical, well-thought-out fighter. And that shows the level. So I don't understand why they're still continuing to try and push this. And I know they've got the narrative behind it. Sam Eggington started his career wanting to be a journeyman and then realised fairly soon into it that he couldn't do that. He was too good to do that. Went on and won a prize fighter. Uh, went on and won the British title, lost it to Bradley Skeet. Now he's beaten Paul and Malinaggi on that undercard. Um, and now he's going for the European title. But there's a limit to how far this lad goes. What are you trying to do with him? You're not going to build him up to be like a Kell Brook uh, opponent in the future because he's not good enough for that. He's not good enough for a world-level welterweight fight. They talked about Danny Garcia apparently rang up wanting to fight Sam Eggington. And then, like, they couldn't quite arrange it. You could have arranged it. Don't fucking lie. You didn't arrange it. <laughs> of course you could have arranged it. He isn't good enough for that. And you know that deep down. So I don't understand why is there still this investment in a Sam Eggington fight? Why are we still getting him on these Sky cards? He must be cheap. Don't fucking um, lie. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, I don't understand why are we getting Sam Eggington pushed down our throats still. He's never going to be that good. And I, I don't have a problem with him not being that good, but don't push him down our throats. This is a guy who ought to be in the small halls. Ryan Kelly versus Adam Harbour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know nothing about either. Lennox Clark versus Carol Hor- Hor- Horse Jerk is what that looks like. Horse Jerk. I like Lennox <laughs> Clark. He's all right, actually. I'll give him his due. He's um big super middleweight, knocks people out. I think they're trying to move him up towards the British title sometime. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Terry, do you have anything to wait, add? Wait, wait, wait. So Lennox Clark. Oh, okay. Didn't he call out Daryl Williams for the English? Yeah, he did. I think I think I sort of triggered that. Apologies for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I triggered that. Um, so Lennox, if you are listening, my message remains the same. May the best man win. I'm always Team Williams because I've known Daryl for years. And I know he's going to finish business with Leon McKenzie. But if he fights you, may the best man win. That's what boxing's about. But I know he's he's a lad out of Leicester, isn't he? Uh, Birmingham way, I think. Yeah, somewhere. <clears throat> or Nuneaton, something like that. Yeah. He iced um, Dean Gillen, who uh, was someone that I, I'd spoken to a few times. He was a fireman that was boxing. And Lennox Clark like put him on oxygen. Like, really <laughs> did a number on him. Gillen's not very good, but, you know, Lennox Clark carries legitimate power. Lennox? <laughs> um, do you have anything to add, Terry? What, in general? Well, 
I know this is what happens. I get to the end of the podcast and I say, okay, I think we'll reach you. You go, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Big shout out to uh, yeah, Ammo well, Gloves. Big shout out to yes. JD Sports. Big yes. shout out. These, but right, these, so these, these, people, these people are important out, listeners. Rant. Uh, n- not much there, but I will say something though. Like, I believe you should always have more than one podcast in your locker. Now, I think we're number one. Um, I know some people talk to me about the boxing voice. Nah, I like this kid, Truth and Facts. Truth and Facts Boxing. You, you appeared on there, didn't you? I, I might be there this evening as well. So, big shout out to Truth and Facts. Uh, lo- they love what we do, just for the record. So, you know, there's a lot of love headed towards Andy and Martin as well from Truth and Facts Boxing. The reason I like it is that's a real boxing guy. So, that's a guy who who did the Golden Gloves with guys like Fresno Kendo. He, so, he knows his stuff. And, you know, get some really interesting guys. And they, uh, what I like about the Americans is they look at it differently to us. Like, for us, boxing is something we talk about as fans, but they get really into it. Like, you know, it's almost like of some real cultural significance. So, if you are going to have a second podcast, make it Truth and Facts Boxing outside of the UK, you know. Otherwise, look, after us, you know, listen to us, enjoy us. Go and listen to the Fight Talk guys, the Pep Talk guys, by all means. But if you need the international flavor, then, you know, got to do the the whole i mean get behind all of that truth and facts boxing gloves are feeling good Ooh, hands are lovely I, I can shake hands with people and stuff i'm not shaking or anything it's all good big shout out to big dom and and your boxing on may 20th um you know keep living that dream i that's all <clears> i can say you know i can't stop you living your dream live that dream um I don't get it. I know you don't, but... but Why he's continuing yeah. to go for it. You know, you take a man's dream from him and the, what, what is there left? A new dream? Uh, um, a more um, accurately targeted dream? Also, shout out to, to Big Vern 46. Uh, Russ, you know, sends me a lot of interesting DMs. <laughs> um, you know, he's a real character. So they, they, they've invited me up to Sheffield to, to go and see one of the Dennis Hobson shows. You know, we can all go as a road trip. We'll just go up there, you know. Yeah, because Paul Hindley goes to those. I like Paul Hindley. He's a man I interrupt. Ah, one he, of the funniest. He... <laughs> Do you know what? Like, you re- like you'll scroll through your tweets because you're in a rush, but you'll always scroll back up just to make yeah, you sure you've Paul read it. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what is he like? Like Paul X or something? Klitschko. Oh, is, he, is he wore Klitschko, Klitschko X still? Yeah. Because I remember so. when he was Spencer X. He was on fire when he was Spencer yeah, X. Yeah, no, people follow Paul Hindley. <laughs> no, no. Shouts out to all the followers, man. Like, thank you very much. You know, we need more followers, though, so spread the word. And to be fair, we got a lot of retweets for the pod last week, so thank you very much. Yeah, really, really appreciate that, that, man. Numbers numbers are feeling nice. Um, And it motivates us to give better content and better products, so thank you. May 20th, let's get together. Well, someone find me some... Who's selling tickets? Probably everyone, but come on, I need some decent tickets. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up in the bleachers. No. I'll get in contact with Chris Hobbs. He's fighting Anthony Yard. He said he had some tickets the other day. Yeah, those are some good ones. I might just ring Anthony Yard. Like Yard, but I imagine he sold all of his now. He won a lot of money playing FIFA, though. I saw that he won six hundred and forty quid yesterday playing FIFA. Really? Yeah, I just saw that on Instagram. <laughs> Guy had to go to the cash point. So you know, you, 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 you know, you get the Instagram sort of like little fifteen minute. No, because I'm not good enough to use Instagram. No so, Snapchat. So, 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 so all you see is just the stack of twenties getting progressively higher, <laughs> and then there's a point where they have to go to the cash point <laughs> to get more money. <laughs> 
um, and behind the scenes of the boxes. And then shouts out as always to Hara Davis, Umar Sadiq, equally entertaining on Instagram as well, man. Like, I see Umar saying you're trying to look like the black James Bond. Nah, you know, it, look, all of these guys are characters, man. Like, and they can only be good for boxing when they finally cross over. So, yeah, boxing, you know, in many ways, is in a healthy state. Uh, shout out to Bruce Howie that we forgot your question last week, but uh, it was it was a Klitschko uh, Joshua. Yeah. So I apologise. We'll get yeah. on next time. Brad Pauls, congratulations on that win. Absolutely. Um, heard the night was heavy last night. Um, I saw the the, the the tabs and Terry Young when they 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 documented that pretty well. I mean, shout out to anyone that's question we forgot this week. Save us apologising next week. week. There you go. Uh, that's got to be it, isn't it. Yeah, no, we're all off to all bar one now for lunch. <laughs> Toad in the Polish hole. Lunch. Toad in the hole. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll sponsor us. Andy, can you set that up? Maybe. <laughs> Andy will sort it around the back door. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> if only they knew the content of you just praying over the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That was my fast Twitch call. Wait for me to press the button. <laughs> uh, okay, right, we're going to say goodbye. Thank you for listening. Yep. Uh, tweet Enjoy. questions yep. for next week. Tweet the feedback as well. Things we can do better. Things we do amazing. Share the word. Spread the word. I mean, it's the gospel now, man. This is the gospel of boxing. That's the new tagline. Yeah, New Age Boxing Podcast. The gospel of boxing. <laughs> okay. Take care, one of Thanks a lot for listening. Bye. I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up.